If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. I don't know about you, but pretty much all of my plans have been canceled this spring and summer. I was going to finally see Hamilton. I was looking forward to a performance of Terminus Ballet here in Atlanta. And of course, there were several fundraising events on my calendar. But I'm not complaining because my husband Frank and I are healthy. And quite frankly, it has been years since we have spent this much time together at home. But I'm starting to wonder what to do about the fall. While it's easy to reschedule a trip or theater with friends, other things are a bit more complicated, like fundraisers. Fundraisers that you're expecting to have a 100 people or even hundreds of people at. Will the CDC, we're all wondering, change its recommendations about limiting the number of people in a single room? And if they do, will anyone want to show up? I'm willing to bet that a lot of people, even if those recommendations expand and say you can have 300 people in a room, a lot of people are going to say, eh, I don't want to show up. So nonprofits are in this weird spot. They still need funds, but they've got to get out there and do fundraising events so their employees can get paid and services can be delivered. So what are you going to do? Are you going to cancel and hope that donors will pick up the difference? Are you going to reschedule and just hope for the best? So here to answer those questions is an event problem solver, Dean Crownover. Let me tell you, Dean is awesome. When I see him work his magic on stage as an auctioneer, it is an incredible thing to watch. You can see him bring 20 years of experience as a trained actor and improv specialist whenever you see Dean on stage. Now, I got to share with you that I have been watching Dean's work for over a decade, and he is the force behind several events that I like to attend every year. Over the years, I've also had some candid conversations with him about events, and his depth of knowledge and expertise is hard to find. Now, you may recall that Dean was on a prior episode of the podcast where we discussed all things related to fundraising events, including how to get the crowd to shut up during a fund and need presentation. Of course, now you can probably just silence everybody on Zoom, but back then it was a big issue. 
So please join me in welcoming Dean to the podcast as we find out what you should be doing for your event. Hey, Dean, welcome back to the podcast. Wow, Dolph, can you redo my intro again? I just want to hear it again. That was awesome. Well, I mean it. Like every time I see you work, I'm like, this man is gifted. He is just you gifted. Too kind. But part of what I love about you is you're not just an in front of the camera kind of a person. So yeah, you're great from stage. But when you sit down with organizations and help them plan their event, you're doing that back end work as well and really helping them create a successful event. Everything that most people don't see when the person's just standing on stage. That's actually my favorite part. You know, the 80-20 rule, I call it the 90-10 rule because 90% of the stuff is done in the meetings and the 10% is on stage. That makes all the difference in the world. And I've met benefit auctioneers who don't consult and I don't understand that or they limit how much they consult. And I don't understand that either. I tell you, if I don't understand something, I wanna be able to talk to my consultant and say, explain it again. And that's what I'm here for for my clients. I want them to call me as many times as they need to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, I know we're going to be talking a lot about that 90% and specifically what people should be doing now to plan events. So what should development teams the world over be doing about their interrupted fundraising events? To put it in kind of perspective of what's happened to me, I would say 80% of my spring, March, April, May, which was heavenly booked, let's call it 80% move to the fall. This was probably early March, early and all the way through early April. They all moved to the fall. And then let's call it 5% canceled. And the other 5% started looking at virtual. I had three clients right away want to go virtual. And now, as we're getting nearer the summer and the fall, now all those fall people and the spring people who moved to the fall all calling and saying, what are we going to do? So they only have two choices right now is you cancel and make nothing or you go virtual. And I'm going to quote a client who was the first one to call me nine weeks ago. It's a regular client that I've had him for years. And she goes, we're going virtual. I don't know what this virus is going to do. We're just going virtual. And I didn't understand exactly what that meant as far as benefits go. But here's her quote. I'd rather make half than make nothing. So it's going to fall the way it does, and we're just going to enjoy it. And I was like, ah, that's a great attitude. So that's the attitude that I'm trying to give all my clients or get them to have. And I got to share with you, I'm right on the same page with you. And while I don't really do event fundraising consulting, I've said to lots of clients that have big events, some of them have actually postponed their big events to the fall, but have big events every year. I've just said to them, if you really think you're going to get 300 or 400 people in a room, you're not. Even if the government will allow you to do it, people are not going to show up. Short of the vaccine, yes, you're absolutely right. It's not going to happen. There's talk of a hybrid version of this where a certain amount of people are in the room. In fact, I had a client talk yesterday. They hope maybe they can get their sponsors in the room and do everything else virtual at the same time. And I said, I don't know if you want to incur that expense because one of the pros of going virtual is the saving of the expense of the food, the catering, the booze, the venue, all of that. I don't think virtual is going to 100% replace live. It's not. People love to be around other people. Right now, it's the only choice. And the truth is, it's working. <laughs> when I tell a client, I said, listen, 
here's the way you have to approach virtual. It is not like your live event where it's apples and oranges. It's apples and palm trees. It is two totally different things. Do not go into this with the numbers from last year at your live event and compare them. You start at absolute zero. You have no data for virtual. And let's see what happens. And the truth is, let's see, I've done three now and I've got a bunch more coming up on the horizon. It's been really good as far as all three clients have been thrilled. Some we made more than we thought in certain places like the fund to need. Some were the live auctions done okay. The live auction is a hard one right now because of trips and dinners and all that. It's a hard one for buyers to see. They'll be able to use them soon, but they can't see how soon. So the fund to need is where all the action is. And that's where it's doing, believe it or not, pretty strong. People want to give. They still want to give. So I've got to jump in, though, because I'm one of these folks who's having a hard time wrapping my head around what a virtual event looks like. If I buy a ticket to an event that's going to be in a ballroom somewhere, I probably can bet there's going to be a 60 to 75 minute cocktail hour. And then they'll ring some chimes and we'll all move into a room somewhere and either we'll have dinner where there'll be a presentation or we'll sit down and stand and there'll be a presentation. And that's where the fun and need happens. And that's where the live auction happens. And if there's a silent auction, you know, I'm doing that during the reception while I'm chatting with friends and meeting new people. So that's what I think about as an event. And I just, I can't figure out how that would be done virtually, especially the cocktail hour where you're socializing, et cetera. So what are your clients' virtual events actually looking like? Good question. Okay. I'm going to compare it to a TV show. So the way we approach it is I tell them we're going to script it like a TV show in a sense. And I'll get nitty gritty on that. But here's how it looks like. In some respects, it is very much like a live event in structure. So here's what I mean. Instead of waiting for people to get into a room, showing them the things they can buy or the way they can give. What we're doing is we're putting it up a week before. So now that new best practice, and I got to backtrack a little bit because virtual is the wild, wild west right now. It's starting to get tamed. There are best practices bubbling up. I talk with a ton of auctioneers. We have our Facebook groups. We're constantly touching base with best practices. So they're starting to bubble up. One of the best practices is put your silent auction, put your live auction, and your fund to need up a week before your event. So the event, the live event, is a closing of all this. That's the structure. So you put it all up and you encourage them. So the client's new job is marketing, encouraging them to go sign up with their mobile bidding company that they give smarter, one of those because you have to have that. And then you're telling them, start bidding now, start giving now. But then at seven o'clock on this day, tune in live and we're going to have our presentation. Let's call it seven o'clock is the time we start. Now at six o'clock, a best practice is for an hour before we go live is start a slideshow, just like you would in a pre-function during the cocktail hour, a slideshow running that is slides of sponsors, the live auction items, but lots of slides about what you do, who's your client, who do you represent, facts, figures, put all of that in there and how to also sign up to bid in case for those who haven't. 
And that runs from six to seven. Now, I'm a big fan of throw in some videos in there, little short videos, because virtual everything must be shorter. It must be. The attention span for virtual is very small. And you can see people logging on and off. You can see the numbers jump or go down, right? So from six to seven-ish, run slides, a little bit of videos. My job is I'm live, ready to go. So I come on and do either a voiceover or on camera and say, hey, this is Dean. We're going live in 45 minutes. Make sure you do X, Y, and Z and check out this new item, that kind of thing. Then at seven o'clock when we go live, the structure of this, everybody's a little different, but the way it's worked for me is usually I come out, I introduce who I am, here's how we're going to do things, here's how you bid, here's how we're going to close down the live auction, because the live auction is about the frenzy of closing it down. Instead of explaining what it is and then selling it, it's been up all week. I'm now giving you the three-minute warning, and still explaining it, but three-minute warning, but explaining how we're going to give, and then usually bring in the executive director. And let me talk a little bit right now because of social distancing. The three that I've done, the executive director have been in the studio with me. We're six feet apart. We make a big deal out of that. We make a big deal that the crew is limited. They're six feet apart. They have masks. We want to make sure everybody at home feels comfortable in the fall. That may change. But right now, it's usually only one of their people, usually executive director, on the stage with me. And I say stage or studio. And we run this together, basically. So I introduce them. They say their piece about who the organization is, why we're here. I'm a big fan of going right into the fund to need. And that may have a testimonial preambling it like it would at a gala. But we get right into the fundraising. So fund to need, right into the live auction. And then if there's any awards, anything we need to do after the fact, we'll do that. And then we'll close the silent. Short and sweet, 30 minutes seems to be the number that people say we need for the live event. 45 minutes to an hour, I've done those and they worked out great. I think 45 minutes is fair, but let's get all that fundraising in much earlier. I would say in the first third. Okay, Dean, I got lots of questions for you now. I love the information you provided, but gosh, it raised more questions for me. So are people actually buying a ticket to the virtual event the same way they would a live event? Or is it a free event that anyone could just log into from home? Free. In fact, I literally just had a conversation yesterday with a client who already pre-sold tickets, right? And nobody's asked for their money back, so they're going to keep it closed. That's the first one I've heard of, but all of them are free. In the spring, when I first did the first two, they'd already sold tickets. So they asked the goers, would you like to apply this money towards the fund to need? Or would you like your money back? And 99% said fund to need. One couple wanted their money back. Best practices, do not charge. Because you can go worldwide. Another pro on this. You can go worldwide. I've had people tuning in from Singapore and Australia. So don't charge. And it's funny because I thought you were going to say, yeah, you should charge. But okay, I was wrong. So you say best practices don't charge and try to build the largest audience you possibly can. Most clients will tell you the ticket price pays for production. That's your venue. That's your food. That's me. That's a sound. Anybody involved. One client said we're saving 60000 80000 something like that by doing this. 
when I start looking at that, I'm like, oh, okay. So there's no reason to charge. And most clients aren't. I haven't heard of any that are. You just pitched me the softball because when you started saying some things, there were production costs there that I don't know how to price out. And I bet a lot of our listeners don't either. So I heard you say in a studio, when I hear in a studio, I think some type of studio fee and, you know, people operating the cameras, et cetera, and you're paying for all that. And then I also hear probably some high-end videography for that 60 minutes beforehand where you're running videos and presentations. So what should organizations be budgeting? Well, first of all, you don't have to have high-end anything. Good sound, for sure, but not high-end anything. You can shoot this all on their phones. They can use their computers. I'm encouraging clients to find old videos that they have that can be re-edited. And most of that is slides. It's PowerPoint that is free to create running in that pre-function. But to answer your question, so I work with three companies here. I just happen, those are the three that I've been working with. And they're quoting anywhere between three grand and 7,500, which is still cheaper than on site doing sound for an event. If I can jump in real quick, the other number I run then is most organizations pay between 50 and 100 bucks per meal. So if they're only charging like $5,000, that's only 100 people at 50 bucks per meal or 50 people at $100 per meal. So yeah, that's not so bad. So what they get with that, and I don't want to stress, virtual in some ways is much more time consuming than a live event because I'm a big fan of doing a rehearsal. And we've done a rehearsal. Let's see, the first one, I had less than 24 hours to make it happen. So we didn't have time for that. But the next two, one had a virtual rehearsal, one had an in-person rehearsal. And every time we get more rehearsals in, it's really for tech. It goes really, really smoothly. There's a lot more involved that way. You're not just winging it. I don't suggest winging it, I should say. That you really want to be ultra prepared. Scott Robertson, another great auctioneer down in Florida, will tell you, be over prepared. As an actor, I come from that philosophy as well. If you don't know your lines, they're going to fire you. And so I have to be ultra prepared for anything that's going to go wrong. I cannot encourage new auctioneers who have not done this. They have to overly prepare because they don't know what's going to happen, especially if you've never been on camera. But here's what you're getting with the tech side of this. So here are the components. Number one, you have a live stream. That's your Facebook Live or your YouTube Live, right? That's usually free. You have me as your ringmaster is the way I like to say it now. You have your tech company. It's usually they have two cameras. They are controlling everything that's being seen on the live stream. They're running your slides, the live feed, audio. They're running it all. And we have put this in a order. We've practiced it. Everybody understands when what runs before what. It's written out. Scripting is so key. Script, script, script. Then you have your mobile bidding component. So those are the four components you must have to make this work. Now, some mobile bidding are combining with live streaming, like I think GiveSmart and Facebook have joined forces. So customers only have to log into one thing instead of two, because normally you would log into GiveSmart for the week to start bidding. And then that evening you log into them, but then you log into Facebook, right? Now some are doing both combo just to save an extra step, which is great. But the tech crew, their job is to make sure all of that is seen and heard well. 
and you're going to be working with them quite a bit. I would say more than you would before a live gala. Before live gala, you send over the slides, you send over the video. The night of the event, you spend a couple hours running it before we open the doors just to make sure it's all good. This is going to be a couple of days before you're running it to make sure we're all good. And then you got to go fix something. I know you said this, sorry, I just lost what they're called, the tech people that are running your cameras and doing all of that. And I think you said you can get that for between like 3000 and 7500 Yeah, in my market, in Atlanta, that's about where it runs. Depending on the bells and whistles, yes. Being on a big or small, they are, yeah. Okay. Kind of what I think I'm probably hearing you say then is maybe someone could produce an entire event, including paying an auctioneer like you, who's also doing the back-end work as well, for probably like fifteen dollars or $20,000 all in. That's about right. You're looking at tech, me, mobile bidding, any other little, because you're going to have some other things, editing, things like that, if you need it done. So yeah, I think 15 to 20 is about what I've been saying. Wow. That is really super cool. What are you seeing organizations bring in in their virtual events? I know you said you've done a few already. Ballpark it for us. Like, what are you seeing them bring in? So it's all over the place. Here's a stat that I'm finding unique. About a third to two thirds of the people are tuning in versus what you would have at a gala. So if you have 500 people that normally come to a gala, you may be having 200 log in. But I look at it as it's not 200 people, it's 200 wallets. Because let's assume a lot of them are couples and they're logged in together. Same thing at a gala. You don't have 500 wallets, you have 250. You have 300 if some singles, right? So you have to look at it as far as wallets go. But we're seeing less people are tuning in. But uh, like one client we just did, the fund to need, I think the year before, made 140000 with 500 people in a room. This one, an hour before we went on, maybe two hours, it was at 50000 which we were thrilled. We were shocked. And remember, it's been up all week. Five minutes before we go on, it's at 60000 Then when I did the call out for it, about 20 minutes, 30 minutes into the, the live part of this, we got to 134, I think. And then I think they had some, because they kept it two days later, I'm waiting for the numbers, but I have a funny feeling it reached what we did last year. The official number I can say is about 134, but that's amazing. And I'm hearing other auctioneers that it's going over. That's the fun to need. And now it's different in every market, right? When you do virtual auctions in early March, that's like the stone age compared to today. And I'm only talking a matter of weeks. And I kid you not. So the first two I did, the second one, which we had a little bit more time with, a whole week extra, they made 41% of what they would have made at the event. But they saved sixty or seventy thousand dollars. They were thrilled at the participation. They had a smaller participation. It still did wonderfully well. They were thrilled. So when you compare all these things, overall it's working. I've got auctioneers telling me it's going gangbusters. Some are going way over. So it depends on the market. It depends on where people at. The big fear right now. And the big talk amongst auctioneers is with unemployment so high, business is closed. It's hard to get things to sell. Are people going to give? They've got to watch their wallets. 
And we're finding they still are. Even of the recession of 2010, 2008, people were still giving even then. So I'm seeing them give now. And I got to jump in because I said this to someone yesterday. Yes, unemployment right now is ridiculously high, depending where you're at between 20 and 38% unemployment. But there's a lot of people that are still not out of work or are not out of work. And I actually used my husband and I as an example. So we are not out of work. But we actually remarked about three weeks ago, how much lower our household expenses are. We're not going out to eat. We're not booking trips. We're not doing weekends away. And we both were like, oh my gosh, you know, there's these charities we care about and we could give them a big chunk of our savings, savings over what we used to spend when we used to be able to go out and do things. So I actually think, and this is a little bit of a niche, but there's going to be a significant percentage of people that have more money to give now than they did before. And those who could always give and still can are. Yeah, you're right about that, by the way, the household. Yeah, I think ours came down like 50%, 60%, and we're staying in and doing things, which I'm actually really digging. I mean, I miss going to work, I mean, on a stage, so to speak. But yes, people are still giving. I watched one, and I'm not going to name who it was, where they had five live auction items and I think one sold. But the problem was they were all consignment items with a very high reserve, very high, four grand. And nobody was bidding on that. And if they did, they got one or two bids on one of them. That means the organization made no money. The first one I did, the first item I sold. Now, this is early March with the toilet paper run, right? Everybody's out of toilet paper. I sold a six-pack of toilet paper for $135. I love it. My client had the idea, and we said, well, let's do it. I think it'll be fun. And people went nuts. You know, so the, the humor was still there. The live auction items, the one I just did, had a bunch of international travel. It had high-end car leases, some dinners, and they all did fine. They didn't do as well as they would in the live event. And I would say with all three that I've done so far, it's the same. The fund and need is still the winner. The silent auction now, here's what's happening there. The ones in March already have their silent items. They've been collecting them all year. They did great. Now... Every client is calling me going, what are we going to do about the silent? Because we're afraid to ask businesses, which I agree with. And I said, here's how you approach asking. If you know the donor so well and that you can have an honest conversation and ask them honestly without feeling weird about it, can you give? Then have that conversation. Or can you reserve some things for us for our fall? If it feels touchy, don't ask. Just stay away and wait. Because your fund to need is still going to be your number one. And we look at your numbers and go, well, let's see if we can bump up the fund to need. Can you get more sponsorships? Because sponsorships, from what I understand, this is what I'm hearing from my clients, hardly any sponsors are jumping ship. They're switching over to virtual with them. And remember, when you switch to virtual for sponsorships, you can offer them now the world, literally the world before it was only inside a ballroom. That's the amount of notice you, yes, you can put them on a slide and put them in a program. Now you could run a minute video right before we go live as a presenting sponsor of what they do. Every email you send out on the web, thousands of people can come see it. It's a whole new ball game. You can get very creative on this. This has opened the door. 
That's really super cool. The other thing that I think about, and I've also been kind of having these conversations, not just around fundraising, but also around programming with some of my clients, 18, 24, 36 months, whenever it may be, when we're all back to normal. Those organizations that figure out how to do virtual events now will have much more successful in-person events in three years because they're going to bolt on the virtual event as well. And so they're going to have 500 people in a ballroom, but they're going to have 150 or 250 or 300 people virtually all around the world who are also giving to the fund in need and also bidding in the auction, et cetera. So as I think about this, and I really do understand for some organizations, it might mean their event income goes down by 50% this year. But if you do this now, you could end up having significantly more event income in three years. Yeah. It's the ones that are jumping ship and not doing anything. And I understand the reasons. And it's not about me saving a job for me. I'm fine. I really love nonprofits and I really want them to make money. And my wife has worked in nonprofits for years. So I understand the ups and mostly downs of a nonprofit. So for them not to make some money, which could be made relatively easy. One said, we want to be respectful of our guests right now where they may be all unemployed. I didn't fight them on it, but I thought, no, I don't think you have the right data there. Because I'm seeing people give. And even if they gave 25, 30%, you would have made more than nothing. I want to say something about the run a show, by the way, for the virtual. Short, short, short. I said 30 minutes, less talking, less speeches. So one best practice, and one of my clients did this, which I loved. If someone is talking right before the fund to need, and they have what's going to be a five-minute speech, which is long at an event, but five-minute speech. They taped this person doing his full five minutes. They sent it out early the week that we were open and said, here's our fund need person. Check this out at your own leisure. Then they edited it down to a minute or so for the live broadcast right before the fund need, which I love. So think about all the different things you can do with your videos or one client – in the pre-function part of the slides for virtual, they shot some videos of the staff. Each staff said 30 seconds worth of things. And they popped those in in between slides. A best practice seems to be after we have closed a couple of live auction items, show a 30 second video. Like the school I just did, we featured their theater program. I would close our couple of items and then I'd say, we'll be back right after this. They had three or four of different things they're doing at the school. We're talking 30-second videos. It's a commercial. So this is, again, where clients can get so creative and have so much fun. And no, they don't have to have the high-end costs. It doesn't have to be ultra great as far as this is shot. It doesn't. People forgive that kind of stuff online. I like that you pointed it out, but I love the fact that you can take someone's speech and edit it down. None of us as event attendees like to listen to 10 minutes of the board chair rambling. We just don't like to do it. When's the last time you went to one of these and said, man, I hope they have more speeches. <laughs> I will never forget this ever. I'm standing on the side of the stage waiting to go on. Just a woman who's getting a, an award. And she literally turned to me and goes, I'll be 20 seconds. I go, great. She got up there for 25 minutes. It set the food behind. It set everything behind. We made less money. We couldn't control her. I, I couldn't bring out a big hook and pull her off the stage, right? What do you do? 
So in this case, clients in virtually control every single aspect, except for me when I'm live, but I'm not going to go crazy on them. So you can edit and you can rehearse. Absolutely. Well, Dean, I want to make sure we've got time for the off the map question. Obviously, we're recording this one at a time when the vast majority of us are, are still at home all of the time. And so my off the map question for you is, what is your survival strategy with your family so that you still have fun, even though you can't leave the house? This is where it's been shocking. I'm a true homebody. When I'm on stage and I'm finishing up, I think about getting in my car as soon as I can, right? Because I love being at home. I love the job I do, but I love being at home. And I own a house with a, we bought a deck about five years ago, this double layered deck. It's huge. I have probably been on that deck prior to this virus 10 times, sat out there, maybe. We have eaten on that deck every single day for two months when the weather's appropriate, right? And it's been almost every day. We've played more games, done more puzzles. My 13-year-old, uh, all he cares about is video games anyway, but we still have our movie nights. And my wife and myself, she's, she and I have gotten along so well. We've been together almost 30 years. It's very rare that we get into a mood where we got to be away from each other because we don't fight. We don't do any of that. Yesterday, I was in that mood. I just didn't want to see anybody for about you know an hour. But I've been really, really lucky because we're savers. So we have money in the bank to keep us riding through until the fall. So I'm not as stressed. But I got to tell you, here's the worst part of it. There's a lake down the street that everybody walks around and we have to walk our dogs. It's like a gauntlet of trying to get around people and away from people. And that's the only drag on this is that I'm afraid to go outside now because of people. Now, I'm in front of people, thousands of people nightly normally, but I can't even walk in my own uh, neighborhood now because everybody's out with their family. Eh, I don't like that. It should only be me. I hear you. And I got to share with you, we live about a block off of Peachtree Street in Atlanta. And for folks that don't know Atlanta, Peachtree Street's the main drag. And we have never seen so many people out. And we're walkers. Like, we don't drive that often. We have never seen so many people out on the sidewalks where I am actually, like, if I leave the house, I got to wear a mask because I don't want to be on Peachtree Street and have 48 people all around me. It just, it skis me out. So I hear you. I have my mask in my pocket because we do have a lot of elbow room, right? There's a little path around the lake, but there's streets around the lake and we walk on the streets. But nobody abide by the rules. Listen, right now, whoever's listening to this, when you're walking, you walk against the cars so the cars see you. You don't walk on the other side. So if you're coming and I'm, I'm obeying the law and walking on the correct side of the street, if there's not a sidewalk, you better move because I'm not. But I usually do. I usually do. I'm the mover and I hate it. You know, I'm like, why don't they listen? Why don't they know the law here? That's the only drag here is trying to be uber safe for everybody. It's a lot of people aren't paying attention. Do you know that when you go on vacation, I have a theory that when you decide, hey, I'm going on vacation and that first day of vacation, your brain, your common sense goes out the window. We're like you're at Disney World and people just don't see you and they run into you because they're too goofy. So yeah, it's kind of the same thing going on right now. Right. Absolutely. 
Well, Dean, it has been so great chatting with you. And listeners, if you want to learn more about Dean's services, whether live or virtual, and right now it's probably virtual, visit his website, mybenefitauctioneer.com. I also want to share with you that Dean is offering a free one-hour consultation about making your next fundraising event virtual. So if you're trying to think through it and you want some help in thinking through it, go to mybenefitauctioneer.com and reach out to Dean. Again, I have to share with you, I have had consultations with Dean. He provides such expertise and such insight. Literally, just an hour with Dean can raise you thousands more. So make sure you check out his website for his phone number, email address, and contact form. Hey, Dean, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Dolph, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Now I'm going to put on my sweats and go outside do my patio. Go out on the deck. Yeah, exactly. Well, listeners, if you were too jazzed up thinking about your next virtual fundraiser and finally being able to cut 18 minutes out of your board chair's remarks, then don't worry about it. Keep being jazzed up about that. And you can go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com to get all of the links from today's show. Now, there you will also find time-stamped highlights, a full transcript, and more. And while you're there, take a moment to reach out to me. I don't do event fundraising consulting, but I always love to hear from guests, and I promise to personally return your email. Although, full disclosure, it can take me a few days because I have really good hygiene about my email. And please, dear listener, do not forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It's one more way to tell me that you enjoyed the podcast and to help other people find it. So, let me give... Real quick, while I'm talking about rating and reviewing the podcast, a quick shout out to Mary H., who reviewed the podcast in March. She said that the, quote, insights and guests are not to miss for any nonprofit leader. Easy to listen to and lots to learn. Mary, I appreciate your review on iTunes. Thanks, and let me know if there's anything I can ever do to return the favor. That is our show for the week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.